Okay, well, I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles, if you have them, to Ephesians chapter 4. We are going to have the words on the screen, but it uh, might be useful to you to have the passage open as we walk through it together. I'm going to read from Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Would you listen now with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love? This is Paul speaking. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to this time and we sit under these words. And Lord, I recognize that as we have come this morning, as we've sung these songs, uh, that we do very much come from all kinds of different places. Some of us uh, are tuning in this morning uh, and our lives are, are going very well. Others of us are, are sitting in this room this morning, uh, and things are swimming around, thoughts are swimming around our mind, all kinds of thoughts, uh, thoughts of worry, anxiety, uh, thoughts of sadness, thoughts of uh, exhaustion. Lord, I recognize some of us come here, and we come here eager and expectantly. Uh, we're tuning in, uh, longing to know a word from God. But others of us uh, are here this morning uh, in person or online, and we're barely hanging on to a sliver of faith. Some of us uh, rehearse so many doubts in our minds so regularly uh, that we're not completely sure whether you're real, and if you are, whether you're good. Father, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in this morning, whether we are uh, coming to this place uh, believing in you or just barely believing in you, whether we're coming here uh, in a season of thankfulness and blessing or in a season that's incredibly hard, 
pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we all ultimately come the same. We have an overwhelming and unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. And I pray that you would give us grace to see how you have addressed uh, this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Ironworks. Really delighted to be with you this morning. Um, wanted to take a break from our sermon series to uh, walk you through a passage that uh, I've been meditating on, really going to focus just on the first uh, three verses of this passage. I may do a follow-up um, in a couple of weeks' time, but I want to walk you through primarily this first three verses because, uh, in case you haven't noticed, we are living currently in a world that is, that is simplistically to be described as divided. Right? We are living in a world and, and to some degree a church that you could accurately describe as divided. Now, I want to give you some good news, okay? This, who, who's, ready, who's ready this morning for good news? I see that hand. All right, here's the good news. It's also the bad news. This is nothing new, okay? Uh, yes, the, the world is divided, the church is divided, um, uh, all kinds of divisions are swimming around like crazy, but it's actually nothing new. Uh, just talk about the church for a second. There are currently, by some estimates, 40,000 denominations of Christians in the world. One estimate puts uh, the U.S. alone at 1,200 denominations. Right? So these are folks who are splitting off from other groups. In fact, you can see some, some charts where they trace the various schisms over time that uh, have left us with 40,000 Christian denominations. Um, and, and in fact, just recently, in, like right now, there are a group of, from what I understand, to be 50 to 100 churches leaving our own denomination in the Evangel Presbytery. They've been meeting what's called a convocation of sessions to form yet another denomination. Right? Um, and I think that what you see in the church is really symptomatic of the culture that we're living in. Right? The culture that we're living in is becoming increasingly divided with an increasing sharpness, uh, and this is happening in the church as well. Now, um, it's, it's kind of depressing to think about this. I have uh, two friends. One was a very close friend. The other, the other not as close, but two close friends. One I served with uh, in ministry who was so heartbroken over this issue, who was so heartbroken over this issue that he was wanting to address it in any way he could with whatever means he could. And how do you address it if you are uh, in seminary and you're trying to figure this out? What do you do? Well, if you asked him, he said, obviously, you go to the only church that's right. So what did he do? Anyone guess? Say it loud. He became Catholic, right? So, and actually known uh, two people that have made this journey, right? That they become so heartbroken over the division inside the church uh, that they go to, I guess, the largest church in the world and just decide that that one is right. So that's one way that folks have decided to kind of deal with uh, spiritual unity. We're not recommending that this morning, just to be clear. Um, that'd be awkward. But, uh, but that's one way that you could address it. What's another way that you could address it, right? You know, and by the way, he didn't even agree with everything in the Catholic Church, but because um, of their system of government where they say, look, 
You don't have to wonder about what's right. The church tells you what's right. He found great comfort in that and chose to um, follow that approach. So that's one approach. You, you know, you could become Catholic, and that, that might be a way that you consider solving this problem, although I, I don't think it's actually one that works ultimately. The second thing you could do, and this is done by others, is you could join a church that exercises legalistic control, right? That's another word for a church that exercises legalistic control. It's called a cult, right? So, for example, you know, I've watched a, a really, really interested doc, interesting documentary on Netflix about the Branch Davidians. I don't know if any of you watched that. Fascinating documentary. And what you find is that, you know, they were fairly unified, right? They were able to have a strong degree of unity through legalistic, cultish control, right? Now, don't recommend that either. Don't want to see, uh, I have no aspirations to become like that myself, and I have no desire for you to be part of that as well, right? What's another option? Well, another option is you could search high and low, and you could look for a community of people where every single person in that community agrees with you on every issue, right? And then you could just join that community and there would be no disagreements and uh, you would be perfectly unified and you might um, be able to enjoy that for a bit of time until someone has a change of perspective, which by the way, uh, I can tell you from my experience, happens every day. Every day people are changing their perspective on a whole number of things. So it would be, in my opinion, very short-lived. Well. This passage is actually one that I brought up to my friend when he was wrestling with these issues and, and wrestling theologically, and we were having all kinds of debates over church polity and all this other stuff. And I want to tell you what I said to him is similar to what I'm going to say to you this morning as I said, look, I sympathize with you in this issue. I sympathize with you in how broken the church feels, right? And, and I think you're feeling it in a particularly pronounced way. He said, however, would like you to walk me through Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3, and explain to me how this is lived out, because as far as I can tell, in the entire New Testament, this is the passage where the apostle addresses this issue most directly. And uh, he said at that time, he said, I haven't considered that passage in relation to this issue. And so I want to just walk you through my own reflections on this passage and how this passage addresses any group of people, right, in a nation, city, church, family, where folks have different uh, opinions, different convictions, different beliefs, or different divisions of any kind, right? This is, this is the place in the entire New Testament where this is addressed, and I want to try to walk you through just some highlights of it. Um, as we seek to grow and to fulfill our mission. The other thing I want to mention is that, you know, I've uh, recently, I shared on Wednesday at our prayer meeting, I have become convinced pastorally that God wants Ironworks to make what I'm calling a fruitful contribution in support of attempting to bring healing to the racial pain that exists right, the tensions that exist, the grief that exists. And by the way, you know, if you talk to people of color, I actually would tell you the emotion that I hear most frequently. You want to know what it is? What's the emotion, you know, that folks are feeling more than any other? 
In, in my little bit of experience, and I don't pretend to be an authority on this, but in my little bit of experience, the emotion people of color feel more than any other that they've shared with me at least is the emotion of grief, right? It's not anger, it's actually grief. There is anger, believe me, but the one that's been com communicated to me more than any other is the emotion of grief. And I have become convinced recently that God uh, is calling me as a pastor and then us as a community uh, to take steps that I am hopeful will be fruitful, right? Where, where we can see um, actual, real progress and change in our community because of these steps. And these steps are, to some extent, not comprehensively, but to some extent, addressed in this passage. Because as I've thought about this issue of racial pain, of racial uh, injustice, of racial misunderstanding in some cases, uh, what I, I think part of it can be properly located under the headings addressed by this passage. Not, not entirely, but part of it can be located under the headings of divisions, right? Again, not entirely, not comprehensively. Um, I want you to hear that very clearly. But to some degree, it's located here. And that means, by the way, right, I know many of you you know, are feeling immense amount of pain as, as we've kind of, as a culture, walked through this issue and you want to do something, this passage will give you some things that I would put before you humbly to consider, okay? So with that, let's look at this uh, humbly together. How can a community, including racial division, including theological division, including uh, social, societal problem, virus, treatment, division, how can that community take real concrete steps towards unity. Let's look at it together. Number one, recognize the urgency of the Christian calling. That's verse one. Therefore, uh, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, that's the urgency, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So right off the bat, the way that a church becomes unified, and I've thought a lot about this over the years as we've kind of ebbed and flowed on this issue, the way that the church always becomes unified, right, is not by simply agreeing with its leader, not by those who kind of have different ways of seeing the world all conforming, right, but by the Christian calling replacing other preferences as the most urgent thing in your life. Right? You want to become unified with, with others in this room? You want to see this land unified? First thing to do is for you to repent of politics, of thinking about the virus, of your, of your own racial opinions becoming more practically important in your life than what God has called you to do. Right? This word calling, Ephesians 2, chapter 8, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the work of God so that no one can boast. Right? For we have been created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works that he has been preparing beforehand for you to walk in. That's your calling. Right? Why are you here? So that you can have opinions right, so that you can be a person with distinct opinions, it's great that you do. That's God's, there's, there's good things, right, in, in being distinct in that way. However, you are here, you have been saved, God has been doing a work in you as a part of specific good works 
that you are called to walk in, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand. Look at that imagery, right? That's Psalm 139. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, right? You knit me together in my mother's womb, right? You, you were there with me in the depths of the earth. Think of that analogy. While the molecules of dust were being summoned together by Almighty God, where he's saying, okay, you and you, you're going to come together to form a protein that one day is going to be Falfrick. And he is going to be special. And he, and oh, oh, I have plans for him. Oh, I have things for him to walk in. I have a way that he's just going to absolutely love on a church, a way that he's going to repeatedly and regularly and powerfully encourage the pastors of the church, which, by the way, he does all the time, 24-7. He's always about that. He's going to make beautiful music. And, ooh, I'm going to give him a love for puns. Not sure if that's a good work, but I think it is. Um, Right? You have been called to specific good works, and that calling must become primary in your life. It must be, right? Yes, you have opinions about other things. Yes, you have experiences on other things. And those, those, are, those are beautiful when they come together in any community like a church, right? Yes, you may think one thing about the election. Yes, you may think another thing about the virus. Yes, you may have uh, steps that you think are, are, are able to be taken for racial pain and racial healing, racial injustice, right? All of those things can be very fruitful discussion if... Your calling as a Christian is the main and most important thing, period. And friends, I will tell you, uh, we had a wonderful time on our going into the woods. Yesterday, I was sad to tell you that the uh, bus from Into the Wild was not there. I was expecting it. It was not there. There was no bus, but there was men, there was fire, and there was meat. And we had a great time, and Matt led us in just a discussion of repentance that I think is, is related to this issue, right? Where he's saying, has the quarantine allowed you to become spiritually depressed? Have you let sin creep into your lives because of this? And he led us through just a wonderful time um, discussing that. He had scriptures to cite. And friends, this passage, what Paul is saying here is that as a prisoner for the Lord, that he is living this calling in a way that is profoundly costly, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk, that's walking in the works, in a manner worthy of this calling. So the calling becomes preeminent. That's the first thing, right? The second thing uh, is is really summarized in this word, or these two words here, uh, in verse 2, where it says, I want you to walk in in, in a manner worthy of calling. How do you do that? What does that look like, Right? And this is, I think, the meat of the exhortation is in the word bearing with, right? Bearing with. So to help illustrate this, what I want you to do is we are going to identify with our charismatic brothers and sisters. Everyone put their hands up, right? All right, leave them up for now, Rich. Hands up. Okay, thank you. Just making sure everyone's participating. Okay, leave them up for, no, no, Ryan, B. No, no, both hands, please. All right, thank you. Okay, everyone leave them up for a second. All right, so I'm going to read this whole passage again. No, I'm just kidding. You can take them down for a second, right? They start to get tired after a while, right? And you're not even bearing with anything but air. Okay, it's just a little CO2. Hopefully no coronavirus droplets up there, right? 
That was funny, guys. Come on. Okay. All right. You're just, you're just lifting nothing, right? And after a little while, you're like, okay, Darren, this is like getting old now. I don't want to do this anymore, right? What are you doing? You're bearing with me, right? And the passage is saying that you are to bear with one another, right? Hands up again. You, I want you to think about someone you disagree with, all right? Think about it. Does anyone not disagree with anyone? You can put your hands down. Okay, right? Think about someone you disagree with and think, I am called. Oh, by the way, outside, Dan. <laughs> Thank you. Praise the Lord, right? Lift up holy hands. Okay, well, you can put them down. I want you to think about someone you disagree with, right? This, this illustration is to help convey to you that God's word for you is that you are called to bear with right, to, to feel weight, right, to expend energy that you would rather not expend, right? Now, how are you to bear with others? Well, gives us uh, these words here, right? The first is with humility, right? The passage says with all humility. Do you hear his emphasis on that, right? Now, what does it mean to be humble? Well, I've said this a lot, and I'll, I'll say it again in case there's those of you who are new here, humility does not mean pretending that you're not good, about, good at something, right? Like, you don't have to pretend that you're not good at something. Becky is an amazing singer. Humility for her is not being like, oh, I don't know how to sing, right? That's just being false. Humility is the way that you approach other people and the value you place on them. Tim Keller said, the way that you know that you've been with a humble person is that you walk out of the room feeling so valued, that, that you were in their presence and they were so interested in you, they were so eager to know you, they, they believed that you have something to offer and so you're worthy of their listening and time and, and, and that kind of thing, right? And it's interesting, uh, I was doing a little bit of study on this word humility, did you know that this word, if you were to call someone humble in the time of the New Testament, this would have been an insult you would actually be insulting them. Oh, you're just a humble person, right? In the time of the New Testament, that would have been a significant insult, right? There's literature where people wanted to insult each other and instead of calling them something like Pastor Sam would call them, <laughs> right? Instead of, instead of going there, they would just say, oh, you're just humble, right? <gasps> You'd be like bleeped out on the live stream, you know? Christians transformed this word from a derogatory word to a virtue. It was the church, it was the scriptures that took this word and transformed it in culture from a derogatory word to a word of virtue, right? So Paul is saying, look, if you're humble, if you think of others as more important than yourself, that's Philippians chapter two, if you approach others and saying, look, you have a lot of value you have, you have important things that I want to know and understand. You're worthy of my time. You're worthy of my listening. You're worthy of my patience, right? If you're humble in that way, Christian community transformed that word from a derogatory word to a word of virtue. And friends, I'll tell you that, you know, getting back to uh, the, the issue of racial pain and racial understanding and racial unity, right? Um, not to mention other aspects of it. Again, I'm just addressing partial things here. One of the first things that you can do if you want to take steps 
on this issue in this way is to evaluate whether you are truly humble when you connect with other people, right? When you connect with someone, particularly someone that thinks differently than you, do you attempt to enter into their world to say, look, I don't, I don't want to assume that I know you. I don't want to assume that I know what you feel, that I know what you've experienced. I want to, in fact, assume that I don't, right? So I want to talk to you and hear from you and understand why do you think the way that you think? What kind of experiences have you had? And this is just in general, whether you're talking to someone who disagrees with you about one thing or, or another thing, if you approach a human being saying, look, I don't pretend that I have the right answers or all the answers. In fact, I recognize that God's made you distinct and different, and I want to enter into your experience, enter into what's shaped your thinking, enter into these things Right? You, you may not agree in the end. I'm not telling you to go see, sing Kumbaya right, all the time. But I'm saying if you approach another human being with spiritual humility, I believe with every bone of my body, this is the first and one of the most important steps that we can take as a community in general to approach this issue of unity, including racial unity. So that's the first thing is humility. The second thing is gentleness, right? So he says, with all humility and gentleness, right? So the scripture sets out this word gentleness uh, in a couple of occasions. One of my favorite passages uh, is Paul's exhortation to Timothy. And, and by the way, I've actually been, um, I saw someone reference this most recently. They said, uh, we've adopted a social media policy, which, you know, we've been talking about this issue on staff, right? We've adopted a social media policy. Here it is. You want to hear it? The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to all, gently correcting those who oppose the truth. And I thought, my goodness, that's brilliant. The Lord's bondservant must not quarrel, right? Not, you know, we don't want to be people who quarrel, right? It's one of the reasons I don't basically ever respond on social media, by the way. Some of you do, and I'm not condemning that, but I'm saying why I don't is because I, I've yet to see conversations predominantly be anything other than quarreling. It does happen here and there, you know. Um, but most of the time, 90-ish percent of the time, I think you could ad accurately describe conversation on that platform as being quarreling. Quarrel. We quarrel. And 95% of the time, even if you somehow escape quarreling, you almost always escaped kindness, right? The Lord's, bird service, Lord's bond servant must not quarrel, but must be kind to all. And then the next part of that, gently correcting those who oppose the truth, right? So there is a place to correct, but it must be done with gentleness. And one way of saying it is this, God in his grace, as he has looked on me and my sins, right? Think about, think about the most recent sin you've committed, by the way. Okay, get that in your, one of them. Think, get that in your mind. Just think of a way that you got it wrong, right? I, I was cranky on our music team this morning, just as an example. Okay, I was cranky, right? But God and, and my teammates were gracious to me. They responded in grace. God, more importantly, I believe from the Holy Scriptures, responds in grace. And you know what? 
Same way with you, the way that you, that you got it wrong, the way that you failed most recently, the way that you didn't live up to God's standard, the way that you were selfish and not generous, the way that you were harsh and not gentle, right? The way that you were fearful and not courageous, maybe. Whatever your sin happens to be, I just want to give you a word from the Lord. That if you're in Christ, if you confess your sins, as we learned this morning, that he responds to you with grace. He takes your sin and, he, and the scripture says he separates it from you as far as the east is from the west. So that God looks on you and he says there is no condemnation for you in Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. That you are righteous. That you stand before him absolutely pure, absolutely holy, absolutely clean of all impurity. He looks at you and says you're clean, you're righteous, I love you. I completely and wholeheartedly and unreservedly accept you. That is the gospel. And friends... What Paul is saying here is that that gospel that we all believe, right? If you're a Christian, some of you are not sure yet. That's we love that you're here. If you're a Christian, as a Christian, you believe this. That's why you're a Christian. That conviction must translate into your interactions with other people, right? And that's called gentleness, right? Because God has been gentle to me. I will not treat you harshly. I will, I will treat you gently. What's the last thing? Well, the last thing is patience. So he says, all humility and gentleness and with patience. And patience, um, just very briefly, uh, goes like this. Patience in this context says, look, I believe and expect that as my brother and sister, as my friend, as my neighbor, whatever the context is, as my colleague at work, I expect that you will get things wrong. Totally expect that, right? You know, when folks join the church and I look at you and I say, look, glad that you're here, love you. But I, and inside, I'm like, look, I know that you'll get things wrong. How do I know that? Because you have a pulse, okay? And you're a sinner, right? And you have, you know, all, just like I am, I expect that you and I will get things wrong. That's just, just get that out of the way, Okay? And therefore, because I expect that, because you ought to expect that of me, when it happens, I will respond in patience. Right? I will be patient with you. You know, and I, I mean, just as an example, the, this quarantine, as I've observed, and I imagine you have as well, for the, for, to a significant extent, folks are experiencing the consequences of lockdown, Right? You know, and I've seen folks respond in ways that I've never seen them respond before. And uh, to some extent, I think that's because there's just this unprecedented pressure, isolation, anxiety, all kinds of things just crushing in on all of us. And I've just, I've, I've walked by house to house and seen kind of the same thing, right? Folks are feeling this pressure, right? Uh, and again, folks disagree about all kinds of things, but everyone's feeling that same pressure, whether whatever other things they're feeling. And my word uh, to you has been, right, God's patient with you. Others can be patient with us, right? We can be patient to others. Why? Because of this word right here. Right? It's God's kindness. It's his patience with you that leads you to repentance. By the way, if you're eager for your friends to change, you know, if, you, if you're like sitting here thinking, I love my friends, but man, I wish they would be different. You know, wish that there was some, some growth and change here. By the way, if you, that's, that's okay to think that. Nothing wrong with thinking that. I mean, I, I, I think that, 
some of you, I can tell you in detail more later, um, right? Do so with patience. That's Romans 2. It's God's kindness. It's his patience that leads a person to repent. And isn't that amazing? It's not his wrath. It's not fear of him in Romans 2. It's his kindness. It's his patience. Gets it completely different than Islam, for example, right? Islam, it is not God's kindness that leads a person to repent. But in Christian faith, if you're, if you're a Christian, right? If you're, if you're here believing that Jesus Christ is going to come and rescue this world from all the sin and sorrow, you're here because you recognize God's patient. He's kind. And that's drawn you in. So that's where we are. There's more to say about that. I, I will, um, at some point in the future, be doing a follow-up. But friends, um, the last thing I want to uh, just close with as we look towards the table is this, right? Um, all of these things are, are principles that I think can make a substantial change in the divisions that we feel in our world, in our church, in our family, in our workplace, all these various contexts, right? But in the church in specific, um, none of these will matter unless something happens, right? And that's verse 3. He says, eager to maintain what? The unity of the Spirit. You see, Christian unity, just different from, you know, being at peace with your neighbors, physical neighbors, Christian unity only happens as a work of the Holy Spirit. Christian unity only, these things only happen as a work of the Holy Spirit. They are a product of people crying out for the presence of the Lord, which by the way, many of you did this past Wednesday. If you weren't here, I just want to tell you that, you know, we had a gathering of folks who cried out for the Holy Spirit to bring about spiritual unity. And friends, I can tell you that from the history of Ironworks that every time we have gathered to pray, right, in ways that we are absolutely convinced accord with God's will, and I can tell you uh, there are few things that we've ever prayed for that rise to the level of, of certainty that this prayer right here rises to, right? That God, it is his will to unify his people. It is his will to bring about spiritual unity. And that happens in response to his people corporately crying out for it. So I believe that God is on the move. I believe uh, that he will work this in you. I believe that coronavirus has been really hard and my heart breaks for all of the various pain that, that many of you have experienced uh, throughout this whole thing and continue to experience. My, break, my heart breaks for those of you who have experienced uh, racial injustice, racial sin, racial hurt, right? Or, or simply lower forms of disunity, for example. My heart breaks for you, but I believe that God is doing a work. I believe that as we cry out for the Holy Spirit, that he will give it in abundance because Jesus himself said that. What, what child asks for bread and his father gives him a stone? I mean, I can think of a couple fathers who would, but most of you wouldn't do that, right? Most of you wouldn't do that. Most of you would give him a good meal. What Jesus says, how much more will my father give the, what? The Holy Spirit to those of you who ask. He will pour out his spirit upon us. Let's pray together.